The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Oh, but don't worry. We've got an APB out on CID on the way. Yeah, and the CCTV at the stables. It's only a matter of time until we get caught. We did it. Hey, we took him. We're looking for him now. We just wandered off. I don't know where he is. Well, it's a good job Sally found him then, isn't it? Oh, thank God. Is he okay? Yes. No thanks to you. He's out the back eating apples. The posh ones, the good ones. Yes, Tim, the good ones. Organic ones. ones. Yes. And welcome to episode 60 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catcher podcast that doesn't know whose fault it is, can't be sure where the buck stops, is still searching for those responsible, but in the meantime, meh, let's just blame Gail, shall we? I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I love getting new furniture. It's the randomest thing you've ever said, other than just <laughs> saying your name, apparently. I bought myself You're Helen. I bought myself a, a mid-century modern lane cedar chest for under $100 when they're going online for over $600, so... So you're going to sell it then? No. You're not going to make five or $600 worth of profit here? No. I bought it for us. That's why I checked oh, with you first, that's remember? A, that's funny, because you just said that you bought it for you. I texted you first and said, I really like this. And you said, okay. So, yeah. staying here in the house. I was kind of wanting something I could put my feet under, but... I, well, I never sit there anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's true, you'd never sit on the couch, which is hilarious. But I'm, like I said, I'm thinking of putting it under the windows and getting rid of that wicker chest thing. What's in that chest anyway? Toys that the kids never play with. So we're going to get rid of them then? So this is a good, a good excuse for me to go through them and get rid of most, if not all of them. Right. I hate getting rid of toys. I feel guilty. It's, it's a... Uh, I gotta stop watching Toy Story movies. <laughs> oh, seriously, just gotta stop watching Toy Story movies. That last one was awful. It was. We hated it. I hated it. that you movie. Hate, you were so angry when we left the theater after Toy Story 4. You were angry. I've never seen you angry at a movie before. I, I don't recall being so angry before. I was like no. s- slapping my hands on the... You were the, so mad. <laughs> the dashboard saying how much I hated Andrew and Stanton hated, and you've hated for writing this before. shit. You've hated movies before, but you've never been that angry. I don't even think that The Phantom Menace ruined three movies as efficiently as Toy Story 4 did for the first three Toy Story movies. No, I think I, I, I think you're correct. I think you're correct. I think you're correct. I think I would take Jar Jar Binks over Forky any day. I'm not saying that. Although although Forky was good. It was uh, it was just the whole story was rubbish. The Toy Story stories are very formulaic it's basically the same story four times a toy becomes separated from the rest of them and they have to through whatever machinations they have to get back together again right and that's happened four times now yeah but i was i was forgiven of that 
Right. For the first three. Yeah. But the way this one ended was yeah, just that was horrible. such a slap in the face for people who cried at the end of Toy Story 3. Which was the perfect which ending. I was one of those people. Which is the perfect ending of that story. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because Andy, the kid who has been consistent through it all, right. has now moved on to his other life. Right. I'll, I'll spoil alert for anybody who hasn't seen Toy Story <laughs> 3. <laughs> and then the, the toys pass on to the new kid. Right. So why start another story and, after that? And that it makes whole no thing, sense other than money. You know, him giving away Woody, especially was especially hard. And he's like, "Take care of him for me," and she acts like he's the greatest toy ever. Right. And then, all of a sudden, he's not. Right. The toy that she wants to play with the most. I mean, I can kind of understand her wanting to play with Jesse more, but just to leave. Well, okay, I'm not going to spoil anything. Andy was... No. Andy was a much better child. Much better. The, the the little girl was great in Toy Story 3. She was. Meh, not so much in Toy Story 4, I don't think. And, you know, she acts all nervous and stuff going to school, but this is the child who practically grew up in a daycare with other children. This isn't the first time she's experienced <laughs> a classroom. It makes no sense. Ah, shall we complain no about sense. Game of Thrones now? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Although, credit where it's due, Tony Hale was very good as Forky. Tony Hale from Veep. I can't even think who that is. He's the, he's the guy who holds her purse. Oh, right, okay, yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> In other news, <laughs> US passport time, y'all. Woohoo! We can finally go back to Canada. I can finally leave the country. I've never felt so trapped in one place as I have for the last four weeks, not having a green card or a passport that would get me back in right. should I leave. Yeah. Not that I'm planning to leave in any... Uh, for a long experience, extended period of time, Well, not no. anytime soon, but it just felt strange not being able to go and then come back again. Right. So I've got my passport. I have two passports now. I'm like Jimmy Bond. You are. It's... You are so exactly like Jimmy Bond. So exciting having two You passports. and Sean Connery, it's like the same person. Only you don't beat your wife. And then I had to uh, send my certificate of naturalization to the passport office. So right. I didn't even have that. I only had photocopies of it. They sent it back today, like a week after I got the passport. Mm-hmm. And they fucking stapled it. The ship bags, they stapled my certificate. I got a 25 meter can swim breaststroke one width of a swimming pool certificate when I was like seven. Uh-huh. Nobody fucking stapled that. Do you still have it, though? No, of course not. <laughs> I think we threw it out along with all the other shit that we threw out from my mum's house. Oh, I'm sure your mum had thrown it out long, long ago. ago. <laughs> right. How are you this week? Uh, I'm good, because I got a you get, you lane cedar chest. And that just makes me very happy. Right. <laughs> I'm confused by this. <laughs> It's a, I, maybe it's a girl thing. And and I've been on the search for certain odd shaped frames and I only need two more. So that's very exciting. I need to get that painting that I bought off the street that I grew up on that Ryan Devlin, hi Ryan, who doesn't listen to this, <laughs> has continually annoyed me about since I bought it for not having it up on my wall. And I've had reasons for that, that I'm working through every second Wednesday. Yes. <clears throat> Yes, but let's, we should it's get that good up. to talk about things. We should get that up. Yes, we should. On the wall. So At some point. 
we need to measure it and then I need to find a frame for it and then I need to hang it up. We need to get that gigantic map of Michigan up too. I don't know where that's going to go. We got to move that Virginia forestry map and some of the other maps and put it right there, right above the TV and then re-put those other three maps somewhere else. That's so heavy I think it might bring the wall down. No. It'll be fine. Like Reagan said. That other that other map that I got you for our anniversary, for our wood anniversary, two years ago, or last year, was it last year? The wood anniversary? Who knows? Who fucking knows? <laughs> Aren't you all glad you tuned in to hear about Coronation Street? I promise you we're about to start talking about Coronation Street. <laughs> ah... In fact, let's just do that, shall we? Yes, let's do that. Shall we preamble, my dear? <laughs> Fucking yes, let's do let's do that. Let's preamble. <laughs> Cory News. Cory News. <clears throat> Jenny Alpine, aka Fizz. Fizz, y'all. Who is a fan favorite of ours, has returned from maternity leave and is currently filming a new storyline. Involving a character named Jade, played by Lottie Henshaw, whose other acting credits includes playing Jenna O'Brien on Doctors, a yep. show neither one of us watches. I have seen what? Doctors, but not haven't seen her in it. We, we now follow her on Twitter. Do we? Yeah. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Hiya. She hasn't followed us back yet, though. Oh, well, you know, Give maybe it. she will. Give it Give it time. Because Charlie follows us, and um, Liam follows us, and... Melanie follows us now. Yep. So that's three actors from the show who follows us. We're getting there. We're getting there. You've got to think that one of them yeah. at least listens to it. Yeah. Hi, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Charlie. You're the best, Charlie. You are. <laughs> Keep posting those dog photos. <laughs> so anyway, <sighs> that's not a spoiler, is it? No, no. I, I was very specific in the way that I wrote that so that there would not be any spoilers. Okay, there's just another character coming into yes. it. Okay. Yes, that's going to be involved in the storyline and her name is Jade. I'm not telling you what she's doing. I'm just telling you that she exists. Okay. I know how to do this. <laughs> Catherine Tildesley, a.k.a. Eva Price. Eva, yeah. Yes. She's not coming back to the show anytime soon, but she is in talks to appear on Strictly Come Dancing, although she recently admitted she can't dance. That doesn't but stop people. producers are very excited to have her on. And you know what? She can't dance. Neither could John Ratzenberger, TV's Cliff from Cheers. And yet he was still on Dancing with the Stars. So dan- the ability to dance... Is not a requirement to be on these shows. I imagine she'll be one of those people that can learn it very quickly. Oh, uh, yeah. B- becomes a, a favorite. Unlike John Ratzenberger. No, sorry, <laughs> sorry, John. But <laughs> <laughs> was you know he me. In, was he in Toy Story Four? Was Ham in Toy Story? I don't remember Ham being in Toy Story because Ham always gets the best lines. Yeah, and Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head weren't in it very much either. Probably because both of those actors Let's are now stop <laughs> picking at this scab. <sighs> it sucks. Let's move on. Okay. So that is our Corey News. On to our mailbag then. All right. We've got a couple of bits from John this week. Uh, one that we'll talk about in a minute in Hindsight Corner. And then this bit that he said, So David is arrested for breaking bail conditions. 
yet he's at home in a house that he owns. For fuck's sake. Yes. (laughs) Nick is still a slug and you wouldn't get tired of putting Tim's dad in the balls. Correct. Correct. Hindsight Corner. So I was quite negligent in Hindsight Corner this week, but we had John and Teaser on Hindsight Corner duties. John wrote in to say, when Beth arrived on the street, I think it was revealed that Steve had dated her a few years before when she was, in inverted commas, allegedly a model. And then he wishes us a belated happy anniversary and happy Independence Day. Thanks, John. Oh, thank you, John. Then Teaser writes in to back him up, saying, yep, that's right about Beth. Steve had got back in touch with an old gorgeous flame from school, I think to make Michelle jealous or something maybe, and invited her to the rovers, and that was Beth's first scene. So yes, indeed. Steve and Beth, they were a thing. Let's get it on. Please, let's not. <laughs> what are you drinking? I am drinking a Krabby's. Krabby's, oh, the last one. That's the last one. I mm. bought them, yeah. so I can drink the last one. Go fuck yourself. Is that the rule now? That's an interesting rule to start. <laughs> that you buy it, so therefore you can drink it all. I didn't drink it all. Hmm. I'm drinking the last one, though. Okay. Because Nick got two. I gave Nick two when I first bought them. I bought two four-packs. Nick got two. It's at least six. Uh, your arithmetic is compelling. How many did you have? I think I might have had two. So you had two. And I had four. Hmm. And that's the way... It goes. It's an interesting development. We'll see how we'll I report also, back next week as to how this is worked out because I think I fucking bought that. So I'll take, I, I also I'll take two thirds of that. Tifada. It's pineapple berry blue herbal tea. You wouldn't drink this in a million years. I will drink that and spit it on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Get that right up you. love you so much. That's good you think I'm joking. <laughs> what are you drinking, my darling? Yeah, diet burners and stuff. So shall we dive in with you? Sure. Our first story tonight, well, our first story tonight is also our last story tonight, so our second story tonight is Billy the Supergrass. On <sighs> Monday, Sean, Billy and Paul are breakfasting with Sean, obviously suspecting Paul of punching him in the face last night. A punch that cost Sean several hours in casualty for some reason. Why? I'm not sure even why he went to hospital for that. He's got a fat lip and a bust nose. Well, maybe it looked worse the night before. Who knows? There was and one punch it, They probably could have needed to test for a concussion and things like that. Oh, just, just to be on the safe side. Sake, and we've it? been to the ER where it's taken forever for just a simple thing. So For a punch in the face. Uh, we've never been there for a punch in the no, face. No, I didn't think we had. No. We're getting close to it. <laughs> <laughs> he also went to the police but didn't see who hit him, but still suspects Paul. And reluctantly, very reluctantly, Billy stands up for Paul. Then in the cab office, Marley's waiting for a taxi when Paul comes in and Tim, who is, I think he's dropped something on the floor or something, I wasn't really paying attention. He's like throwing a ball or something and he went to go pick it up. He overhears Marley talk about getting help to offload some stolen goods and also how he smacked Sean in the face for good measure yesterday. And then Billy turns up at streetcars, because of course he does, and he and Tim talk about Sean getting punched in the face. Tim knows who did it. It was Paul's mate Marley who was bragging earlier about short and sawn out. And Billy, 
He's aghast at this. He's also aghast that one of Paul's friends is a ghost that walks around with chains. Billy runs into Paul at Roy's Rolls. He wants Paul to go to the police to report Marley. And Paul says he's not a grass and begs Billy to let it go. Marley will kill him, he says. Paul's playing the puggy in the rovers when Billy happens along. Paul is still angry with Billy. Why is Paul angry with Billy? Oh, for not backing him up properly. Yes. And Billy apologises for not believing Paul all along. Oh, and by the way, I went to the cops after all and they've arrested Marley. Billy says he had no choice, but Paul isn't having it. They're through, he says, and he storms off. Bit harsh. Bit harsh. Do you think? Yes, because Billy is absolutely right. He had a duty to tell the truth. You know, occasionally he remembers that he's a vicar and that these are things that he is supposed to do. He's a, uh, um, oh, what is it called? I can't remember what it is, but certain people who are in a certain position have are duty bound to inform the police of violence and abuse and things like that. Then on Wednesday, a miserable Paul comes into the rover, seemingly just looking to vent on Sean and Billy. Here Paul is trying to turn his life around, but he's let down by his supposed mate and his supposed boyfriend. Sean and Billy feel awful about this, but not awful enough to go after Paul after he storms out. Then Billy tracks Paul down to Roy's Rolls and apologises for upsetting Paul, but not for what he did. Paul doesn't really care anymore, he's already moved on, and he's actually on a date. At Roy's Rolls. Nice. Well, you know, when you first meet someone, you want it to be something that you can cut short if you need to. So, coffee at Roy's. It makes sense. Hmm. That guy doesn't look great either. Yeah. And Billy makes his excuses and leaves. And as he's leaving, Paul has a wee dig about Billy the God Botherer. <laughs> and later, Paul and the bloke, they're rubbing it in Billy's face at the rovers, but not like that, forcing Billy to go home to avoid it all. And it certainly looks over to Billy. He doesn't think there's much of a relationship left there. And Sean, he sucks a thoughtful tooth at this as he watches it go on. Yeah. And that's it. And honestly, it's it's more Paul rubbing it in. The the guy is kind of oblivious to hold the whole thing. Oh yeah, he has no idea. Yeah. I think he'd rather be sh- shocked to find out that Paul was dating a vicar. Yeah, because he doesn't know that. Yeah. So you think that's it over between the two of them? Billy wears these shirts. He does. That show <laughs> that he that he has rolled up. It shows off his arms. Arms. His arms. His arms. Yes. Very nicely, but it's kind of weird because it, it it's it doesn't look like something necessarily a man of God would wear. Because he's wearing the collar, but then mm-hmm. he has his arm his sleeves rolled up. Are they rolled know? up or they just short sleeves? There's there's a there's a at least a little pleat, a little fold. So right. I don't know. I think about that an awful lot. I kind of compare Billy to uh to hot priest on a flea bag, a little bit, even though hot priest is straight, even though he's played by a gay actor. But the clothing choices, you know, for the two of them. Anyway, the fuck are you going with us? <laughs> so God disapproves of rolled up <laughs> sleeves. Is is that your message here? It's it's just. He's showing a lot of skin and his his muscly arms. 
When is he? When is he? It's not muscles. It's not rolling them up to his he, shoulders. There's no fucking Popeye. Uh, it's up to his. You could. You could. His elbows. No, he's he's got he's got some well kept arms, and I'm just wondering when he has time to go to the gym, when he's running to the police and trying to maintain a relationship and raising summer. So do you think this is over between Billy and Paul then? I, I hope I not, because kinda do. we haven't really seen very much of their relationship. You know, their relationship started. They won Mr. and Mrs. somehow. Right, even though they're they're not married and they'd just gotten together. And then we really didn't see them together very much. You know, when Paul, when Paul finds out about what Gemma's going through and everything with the quads... We never see him confide in Billy about how much he's worried about his sister and stuff, which you'd think two people in a relationship would do. They haven't talked about moving in together. Paul's still living with Rita. I, it seems like this relationship has ended before it really got a chance to start. It just seems like one of those relationships that Corey starts without really having any idea where it's going to go, so they just kill it. In the water. It's, it's a whole and it's kind of like, okay, well, we've introduced this other gay character. So which one of the other two gay characters are we going to put this person in a relationship with? Because one of them must. Right. This has to happen. Yeah. Fortunately, okay, never never mind. I was going to spoil something and I'm not going to. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Let's move on to our next storyline then. Which is one man and his unicorn. <laughs> this is quite funny. That's Two quite men funny. and their unicorn, this. and then three men and a unicorn. Oh, they should they should make they should make a movie kind of like three men and a baby, like three men and a unicorn. <laughs> I will pay money not to go see, not to go see that. <laughs> Even if it's Ted Danza and Steve Gutenberg and um, Tom Selleck, and a and a unicorn, a unicorn. I'm not sure. You love Ted Danza. Ted Danza? Ted. Ted. It's Ted Danza, isn't it? Yeah. What is it? Ted. Danson. Yeah. Ted Danson. You love him, even though you've never watched The Good Place, which he's very good on. There's lots of things that Ted Danson's been on that I haven't watched. I enjoyed him in Cheers. Yeah. And then Frasier. Okay. And Loch Ness. Except I didn't really enjoy that. <laughs> oh, I forgot about Loch Ness. <laughs> the monster real, y'all. Anyway. On Monday, Steve is taking calls for his unicorn party thing at Roy's Rolls. For Jessica's party, they all get a bag of rainbow unicorn droppings, apparently. Yes, unicorn poo. Then Adam drops in to remind him that he has his license-revoking meeting today if he can pull himself away from this unicorn shite. But we already get the feeling that Steve's not really particularly interested in pulling himself away from this unicorn shite just yet. No, he's really not. Liz comes home as Steve is still smitten with this unicorn idea. Is he uh, combing the unicorn hair when he's sitting there? I think he was doing something like that, wasn't he? He was doing yeah. something with it. Liz reminds him that he's due to meet Adam in five minutes. Uh, Liz and Tracy need him back on the road. They're working their fingers to the bone while he's lazing about in his arse. Right, because she doesn't know about the unicorns yet. No. And I dare say wouldn't be interested, even if she did. No. And back at Roy's Rolls, Adam tells Steve that his licenses have been reinstated and he's back in business. Congratulations. Huzzah! Only he doesn't really care. Steve. he wants to do unicorns instead. Steve kind of wants to. I mean, he doesn't, want to do, oh. he doesn't want to literally do unicorns. 
He wants to. That's a unicorn <laughs> rainbow unicorn. mess just went to happen, isn't it? Parties. Well, you know, I mean, in stories about unicorns in the Middle Ages, the horn is only straight when it's in the presence of a virgin. You know that, right? So No, fine with that. Don't you know lots of stuff about folktales? Oh, no, wait, that's just me. Yeah, you're super cool. I am cool. Steve wants this to be kept secret. Then in the rovers, Tracy corners Adam about Steve's licenses. What the fuck is happening here, she says. And Steve makes slashy throat motions behind Tracy's back, so Adam just shrugs and says that he tried his best. Oh. So Tracy is now under the impression that his licenses were revoked for whatever reason. Right. And, you know, Adam's technically not not lying. He did try his best. Yeah, and it yeah. was good enough. Right. <laughs> On Wednesday, Steve and Tim were in Roy's Rolls. Everything is happening in Roy's Rolls this week. When Michael comes in, privately, Michael tells Steve that he has a party booked for one o'clock this afternoon, but wouldn't you know it, Tim's already loudly mentioned to Craig, who has the day off, that he's off to see Tiny at exactly the same time. Oh no! Insert amusing farcical sting here. Oh. It's 300 quid, though, and yeah. Michael has a plan. Yeah, it had a very good one, though. His plan is a piece of shit. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he basically wants his dad to sit and have drinks with Tim, who he barely knows. Right. It makes his feelings on the matter quite clear. Yes. He's out. No, thank you. So later at the cab office, Steve is worried that Tim is going to find out about the unicorn party thing, but Michael insists that they go ahead with it, otherwise it could kill their reputation, and that would be the unicorn thing dead. Over. Along comes Craig looking for a taxi to Freshco's, because remember, he has the day off. Correct. Steve cooks up a story about Tim being down in the dumps these days and missing catching up with Craig, who apparently used to be good buddies with. When they used to wash windows together? Yeah. Maybe Craig could take him out for a drink or whatever, from one o'clock to three o'clock. Specifically. Maybe (laughs) longer. Craig falls for it, and Michael makes sure that Craig knows that this conversation, as far as Tim's concerned, it didn't happen. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to embarrass Tim. Right. Craig's happy to go along with it anyway and Tim meets Craig in the pub and Craig goes way over the top compensating for how much he misses his wee chats with Tim and how Tim can tell him anything it's good to talk Craig insists mm-hmm. because after that heart attack thing they try and make out that Tim's right bottling up a lot of stuff yeah and Tim rightly so is weirded out by all of this <laughs> yeah it's Tim's an uncomplicated man that is true so he sees this attention as being perhaps a little crossing a boundary or two. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tiny at the party has been a monumental success. Yes. And Steve and Michael have made some cash and Tiny seems to have enjoyed the attention. Yes. The father of the child is... I'm going to say about for scumbag. Yeah, but he seems happy. Yep. His kids are called Dimitar and Cristiano. Yeah, he needs a jail for that. <laughs> and Michael tells him that they, Do they also, also have provide... a child named Ronaldo. Maybe Cristiano is a twin. Maybe There's a, there is another one, but I didn't write, write down what the name was. Ah. Michael tells him that they also provide writing lessons if he's interested. Oh yeah, because one of the kids had writing lessons, and that's why they wanted a unicorn party, I guess. So their attention is drawn away from Tiny for a second, and they're looking down the gunnel in the wrong direction, and it's long enough for Tiny just to wander off. And disappear. Why isn't he tied down to something? <laughs> this health and safety here, people. Why is that horse not tied down to something? Or somebody holding the reins? What 
is wrong with these guys? I know they're in, they're supposed to be inept, but can they really be that inept? Yeah, they just turned her back for five minutes and it was long enough for Tiny yeah. just to clip-clop off. Except yeah, he didn't clip-clop off because we didn't hear him. He's an animal off. with a brain of his own. If you don't want him to go anywhere, you have to tie him down. Yeah, hurt him in for some way. For fuck's sake. It's harsh. Well, Tiny could have gotten hurt. He could have gotten hit by a car or something. So later, Sean comes out of the co-op with a sandwich. <laughs> and in the reflection of the, the window of the co-op, he sees Tiny the Unicorn neighing in the street. And, and what should thinks- have happened there is Sean should have looked at the unicorn in the reflection, right. looked at his sandwich, looked back at the unicorn, and then thrown the sandwich over his shoulder and said, that's me done with sandwiches. <laughs> that's what should have happened. Or he should Sadly, have been like, happen. drinking a soda while he was walking out of the out of the cup with a sandwich and then looking at the soda and looking at the unicorn and then throwing the soda away because he hasn't eaten the sandwich yet. Well, been between the 20s and the 60s and 70s, replace the soda with a bottle of whiskey and right. that's exactly what would have happened. Absolutely, yes. Which is kind of what I was going for. Right, yeah. So Steve and Michael are still looking for Tiny and they walk by Tim's house who comes out with Craig behind him. Once again, ha-ha, ha-ha. Uh-uh. He's been on the phone to the stables for some reason. Tiny has gone missing, which makes me wonder how Steve managed to get Tiny out of the stables without letting the people at the stables know up front. How would you just get a... Well, yeah, he's... Tim's winding him up. But either way, Steve has got that horse out of the stables. Right, yeah. Somehow. Even though... He's not an owner. Somehow. So how's that happened? I don't know. Craig says it's rustlers and there's an APB out and the CID are involved. And Tim says there's CCTV at the stable, so it's only a matter of time before they find out who did it. And Steve's like, it was me. (laughs) Immediately. (laughs) But Tim already knew this because Sally had already found Tiny. He's in the back garden eating apples. The good ones. The posh ones. Yes, not the little ones. They can and, give him a tummy ache. And Steve says that he dressed Tiny up as a unicorn for a project that Amy had at school and says it wasn't a unicorn party after all. Then the scummy father from earlier comes along demanding to know what's happening with this fucking unicorn party. And Tim, he is disgusted with this. Right, because there's one child that didn't get to pet the unicorn. A little, a little wee boy with holding a unicorn stuffed animal. Then later Tim finds Steve and Michael in the rovers. He's not angry. He's disappointed and a little sad. But when he says that they've made some money, he changes his tune. Which is weird, because Steve had told him this is going to make money. Yep. Steve continues to pretend that he needs the money until he gets his licenses back, but Michael drops him in it. Didn't you get your licenses back, he said. So Tim's in, but he's in charge, and it's a 60-40 split for him, and Steve pays Michael from his cut. Otherwise, Tim will tell Tracy about the licenses, and Steve immediately agrees. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that. So we have a unicorn business now. I love it. I love it. Uh, what do you think is going to happen when Liz and Tracy find out? As they will. That he has his license back, but he's making money and he's probably making more money than he would driving in less time. Really? He's it, only made like, he's less, made less he's than made 150 three, quid. He's made three, yeah, but they made 300 quid from just two hours. If Tim's in and they do it more frequently... Well, they only have one horse. There's only so much they can do. Right. So Tim's addition to this 
just give if Steve Lace like, money. Two parties a day, three hundred quid a piece. It's not a huge amount. Six hundred quid a day. Yeah, of which Tim gets four hundred. Tim gets two hundred. Two hundred no, quid. Steve gets two hundred. He has to pay Michael. Yeah, but how much is he really going to pay Michael? Like See, he goes 50, 50, 50. Well, even 150 quid a day. I, I, how I many make... parties are you going to have on a Wednesday afternoon, do you think? I'm not sure this is a great business. Well, we'll see. Maybe they'll raise the prices. And maybe they'll do horseback riding lessons too, even though none of them are certified. No. Of course, probably none of them are certified to be taking this horse around places as a unicorn either. No. Yay. I'd... Health and safety. It's a fun little story. I kind of wish that it just ended this week because I, I really don't see it going anywhere. In the direction that, oh. that it can go, oh, I don't think it's going to be satisfying. Oh, take it in weird directions. Uh, this has been kind of going on for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I think it's ran its course. Mm. Can we not just get rid of this horse? It's no. It's causing far too much complication. You just don't like horses. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't. You hate horses and that's a, your problem. Our next story tonight. Catering Irish Tina. On Monday, Michelle is up to her tits in preparation for this charity shindig and Robert sees his chance to go and see Irish Tina using a wine tasting in Warrington as a ruse. He's so unimaginative when it comes to these ruses. Yes, as has been pointed out by several characters, the worst liar in the world. And yet he continues to try and lie. And Michelle continues to fall for it. Yeah, because... It says so in the script. Right. Michelle is temporarily suspicious until he says it's a wedding wine tasting thing. And if he finds anything good, he'll bring it back for them both to try. So she's like, hmm, Ooh, seems interesting. All right, fine. If I'm getting something out of it, go right ahead. Meanwhile, Alia and Ryan are fluttering over the catering dishes. He haggles his fee with Michelle until Alia buckles and gives him what he wants and then has a nice long look at her arse while he carries out one of the trays. And Michelle... She spots us and wonders, hmm, I wonder what's going on here. This is something that she can focus on. She so looks she, at his ass. Well, she ignores the fact that Robert is right. completely lying yeah. to her. Yes, Alia looks at Ryan's ass. Not. Yeah, I think that's what it's No, you sh- so you said she looked at her ass. And Ryan's a boy, as far as I know. So Robert is in the <laughs> kitchen on the phone to Irish Tina when Michelle comes in ready to head off to the venue and she'll shag him later. Once Michelle leaves, <laughs> he promises to visit. Irish Tina, though. And bring her bananas. Oh, she's hankering for banana. Yes. Which I wonder, does she mean banana or does she mean... Banana. I think she means banana, doesn't she? No, I think she... Because she's pregnant. Yeah, she wants the fruit, not right. not the bobby. The catering guy, whatever his name is, he's very happy with the spread that she's Albia and Michelle have put on. This could be the start of a wonderful business relationship, he says. Group hug While says Ryan... longingly at Michelle. Did you notice that? No. No. Yeah. Group hug says Ryan, who only hugs Alia, and this arouses Michelle's suspicions further. And later, Michelle asks Ryan what's going on between Alia and him, and he says he's just doing his job like everyone else should be doing. And because this is true, throughout this whole transaction and Mm -hmm. business arrangement, Michelle's behaving like a schoolgirl, just wondering who fancies who, and well, everyone else is just getting on and doing it. Correct. The charity bloke comes in to tell them that they have twice the number of guests that they've planned for. Uh-oh. Yeah, seriously. Oh, oh, just twice as many people just happen to show up. You have to help me, even though I've told you 150 people and 300 You have to magic 
other food out of thin air somehow. It's just it's fucking ridiculous. Anya panics, but Michelle, because she's the seasoned businesswoman here, she thinks that they can manage. Alia phones Speed Dial to see if they can help, but Speed Dial are slammed at the minute and they can't, so Michelle calls Robert, who's just about to leave to see Irish Tina. It's really lucky that he hadn't left already. Well, he had left. He was in the street, but he hadn't yeah, he really was left. He was just walking out the yet. door. She explains the situation and begs for his help. He says he's on his way to Warrington to see that wine guy, but she insists that this is more important. The news business could be dead in the ground after the first gig if they aren't able to pull this off. Oh, Pig's tits, says Robert. So later, Robert saved the day. He turns up with a trolley of food and ignores his ringing phone. Michelle is initially suspicious. I wonder how many times I've written Michelle is initially suspicious this week. <laughs> but it's distracted when Robert reminds her that this is supposed to be an emergency, and so off she scoots. And the reception is going well now that Robert has saved the day. Michelle Huzzah! chats about Ryan and Alia being a lovely couple. Robert, who has decided not to put his phone on silent for some reason, is interrupted by that pesky supplier again and distracts Michelle by suggesting that Ryan had a thing for Bethany, didn't he? But oh no, says Michelle, that went nowhere. Correct. So at least we know. Yes. She thinks she's being subtle, but both Alia and Ryan know that she's trying to set the two of them up. Correct. Later, back at the bistro, Ryan and Alia lay it on thick to Michelle. Ryan says that Alia is the one, and now Ryan is so invested in the relationship that he's going to convert to Islam. That was hilarious. Yeah, he's going to... Just give me a fizzy water, Mum. Yep. Not a beer. Yep. Because I'm a Muslim now. Irish Tina phones Robert again, and again he dinges it, and again Michelle wants to know who was calling, and again Robert blames a supplier that he doesn't want to talk to. It's so dumb. <sighs> On Wednesday... Ed is at the bistro where Robert has reported a blocked sink. Ed goes off to fix it as Robert finally answers his phone to Irish Tina. She's still waiting for her banana. <laughs> She's waiting some time for this banana. She really needs her potassium. Right. Apparently the prenatal vitamins aren't cutting it. He knows that he's let her down but he will be there today for the midwife appointment. It's his baby too, he says. And he's saying this in the middle of the bistro when Michelle comes in and he has to cut Irish Tina off abruptly. Michelle obviously wants to know who the, that was on the phone because every time he's on the phone, she needs to know who on, he's on the phone to. Right. And Robert tells her it's a wine man rearranging from yesterday. Well, says Michelle, you'll need to rearrange it again because she's off to a wedding expo or something and it's just Robert and Dan holding the fort, whoever uh -oh. Dan is. Yeah. The, oh, pig's tits, says Robert. Really? Really? They only have two people working that restaurant today. Right. Two people. One of whom... One of whom has to cook. And we don't know who the other one is. And then who's going to bartend? Ryan's feeling a little bit rough at Roy's rolls today. Yes, Apparently he, he and Alex got rat arse last night, although Alex is fresh as, as a, a daisy. daisy. He says, at least I'm not a lightweight, mate. <laughs> I love that. Then Alia sidles along want to know if he's still up for doing an afternoon set. Speed dial, this is Ryan, not Alex. Ryan can't remember promising to do so, but agrees anyway. And now Michelle is keen for the wine guy to drop into the bistro so they can both taste the samples. <laughs> and Robert ignores this and tells her to hurry up and go for her wedding expo, otherwise she'll be late. Then in comes a spluttering Ryan. Robert has sent him a text and explains that he needs Ryan to look after the restaurant today, but Ryan can't because he's DJing. Robert offers him manager rates. Ryan doesn't want to let Alia down, so Robert doubles it 
And then Ryan finally agrees. Just don't tell Michelle, says Robert. And then Ryan wants to know why, but sends a back-out text to Alia. So I expected this to come back and bite Robert in the arse. Yeah. Because Ryan was already suspicious last week, wasn't he? Yes. And come on, Ryan. Phone her. Don't just send a text message. Be a little bit more professional. Shall we? You damn millennial. Uh. <laughs> Ryan's having an awful time at the bistro, though. Yeah, it's because it's really busy. And he he's the only one there with Dan. And I'm assuming Dan is cooking the food. Tracy turns up wanting paid for the flowers that she's given them. 40 quid, apparently. Mm-hmm. Seems decent. Alia wants... Uh, Alia turns up wanting blood for Ryan uh, standing up his DJ gig. And then Ed turns up because he's still in the bistro for some reason. Right, he's, he's taking care of that black sink. Yeah, which happened like half an episode ago. He wants to turn the water off so he can fix it. Right. And Ryan doesn't know if he can. And Ed says, well, apparently you're the boss. And Ryan is all a fluster at this. Meanwhile, Robert is finally around at Irish Tina's. He's made enough shepherd's pie to last her a month, and now he's off ski. Right, and she does love his shepherd's pie. He does. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he won't give her the recipe. Nope. Which was... Because <laughs> he's a dick. He's a dick, yes. He says the bistro isn't going to run itself, so he needs to go back, and Irish Tina offers him a way out if this is all being too much. She says Robert's struggling and the baby isn't even here yet. What's he going to be like once the baby's born? She can get a termination now before he changes his mind, but if he leaves it much later, then she can't do anything about it and then she's stuck with the kid. He promises to be there whenever he can because I'll he wants be to. I'll be there for you. I, I, don't, I don't really trust Robert to be there for anybody. No. Doing anything. No. Other than occasionally making shepherd's pie and providing banana. <laughs> Banana. And I think that's why he got into this situation in the first, in the first place. place. So it looks like Ryan has fucked off from his responsibilities and closed the bistro down for the day, which is fine because the bistro gets closed down for the day all the time. Plus, you can't run a restaurant with only two people. Especially if one of them doesn't really exist. <laughs> so he's going to do his DJ set speed dial after all, and then he and Alia have a little conversation and end up smooching. And of course, Michelle is lingering yeah, behind them and she sees us wondering why. She's got a note saying that Robert's cleared off. Ryan is speechless. Mm-hmm. So then later, Michelle is waiting for Robert to come back to the bistro and the restaurant's obviously empty. She's initially furious, but he placates her with another tall tale about helping out young offenders this time. And she, she At believes first she's him. she's like, oh, for fuck's sake, not this again. But then, but then she believes him. Yep. Without real any further questioning, he made an, a commitment to them, so Michelle says that she's going to have to learn to share, and she orders him to make her a shepherd's pie. Yeah, the shepherd's pie must be amazing. Must be better than yours, and yours. I find that hard is to believe. Amazing. Worcester sauce, y'all. That's the way you go. You make. Good shepherd's pie, my darling. I do make a good shepherd's pie. Yeah, you do. I do make a good deconstructed shepherd's pie, which is essentially oh, just... Oh, yeah, because you're fancy schmancy. Mince and tatties and baked beans. <laughs> Lovely and, stuff. And, and some veg. Lovely stuff. Yeah. You don't put corn in your shepherd's pie, which is how most Americans make it. I, I'm not against the idea. I just prefer peas and carrots. Yeah. So do I. 
I think it looks nicer. They're, the yellow it, against the brown looks kind of funny. And they're better for you than corn. But we digress. Again. What's next? Before we digress, Aldi and Ryan, as a couple, we were quite happy about this last week. I, I dare say we're still quite happy about this. Yes. They're a good couple. Yes, I would like this to continue, please. Ryan's lying. Not Ryan. Robert's lying to Michelle, though. It's just, they can't spin this out for very much longer, believable. can they? It's not believable. No. It's not believable that she'd be like, all right, fine. Not believable at all. Hasn't been believable for a couple no. of weeks. It's really annoying. And it must stop. They're making Michelle the most gullible human in the world. Yeah. And she's not. She's not... Yeah. She's not stupid. Like I said last week, a part of me thinks that she's being willfully gullible... Just because she wants this to work this time. But, like you said last week, why? Right. Why? What's the point? Why bother? Why? Anyway, what's next? Our next story is El Kirko's return. Woohoo! Sinead and the baby. Aww. Bertie. Bertie the baby. Bethers and Roy's roles showing off her latest pictures to Ken, Adam, Daniel and Sinead who all pretend to give a shit. Right, and she's done all of these little like, you know, scrapbooking things with the, with the pictures. Like she's given Bertie a, a dog's nose and, and floppy ears and stuff. It's rather cute. One of my friends at work is, uh, it's his birthday this weekend. And to celebrate his birthday, his wife's leaving him for the weekend uh, to go crafting and scrapbooking for two whole nights. Anyway. Wow. Okay, I've glued this picture into this <laughs> scrapbook. What's next? Okay, just more of that. Okay. No, no, it's that. That's not the. That's not the part I'm wowing at. The part I'm wowing at is for your birthday. I'm fucking off. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we might end up if we do go to the soccer on uh, Saturday. He might be there. I thought we were going to go see Midsummer. I can't decide whether what to do one or the other. The movie theater will be air conditioned. I forgot the movies then. <laughs> <laughs> so Beth is going on about embracing the creative possibilities of modern technology, and Sinead goes off to get served and tells Izzy and us that she's getting her scan results tomorrow. Then at the factory slash community centre, the Knicker people are tending to Sean's wounds. They're using special leaves and uh, special stitches and, right. and and woven nylon. Right. I believe there's some chanting that goes on as well <laughs> to make sure it's cleansed. Izzy thinks that Sean looks dead butch. He doesn't. Beth wants to take his picture and for whatever reason this briefly thrills Izzy. Then Kirk comes back. Hello Weatherfield, he says. Beth is all over him, and the two of them run off for an early lunch, which I'm led to believe means Afternoon they're going to get delight. their hole. Yeah. But no, they are actually having lunch. Aww. Kirk reveals that he has a bunch of new gigs to do, but he's not sure about leaving Beth again. She's remarkably blasé about the whole thing, saying that she'll be chock-a-busy uh, with him gone, with, what, her, with her photography, photography and everything. And Kirk, like Rana, is crushed by this. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> then Beth drops a... <laughs> You think you're funny. <laughs> I, 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 I amuse me. 
Do you know? Aye, like, aye, we, aye, had, aye. we had a tweet this week from uh, our, one of our Canadian librarian friends who, uh-huh. uh, when we started last week's podcast with uh, our first story tonight, is Tim's fucking dad. <laughs> Apparently, she spat coffee all over the place and spent like five minutes clearing herself off. I'm just thinking, you know, we spend a certain amount of time constructing little uh, <laughs> no, repeat in gags jokes, and yeah. in jokes and stuff and then all it takes is to say Tim's, Tim's fucking dad. Fucking dad. <laughs> Thank God we got a break from that asshole this week. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Yes. So Beth drops in on uh, Sinead. She's actually disappointed that Kirk is keen to go back on tour. What if he gets a Vegas residency? He's Matt Goss these days. And Sinead gets torn into her, telling her that he's not going to Vegas, he's not Matt Goss, he's not a rock star, and people have real things to worry about. Like, like that, cancer. Like that appointment tomorrow. Meanwhile, Kirk is in the Rovers, bemoaning the fact that Beth seems overly keen for him to fuck off back on tour. This is one of the classic people feeling one thing and not communicating it to the person that they love. Right. Storylines. Yes. It's a classic. Yeah, we love it. Beth and Kirk are about to have dinner with Dan- with Daniel and Sinead. Oh, They're not talking about what they need to talk about. No. So Daniel and Sinead try to prompt them, and it seems to go well, and they find some common ground in the, a discussion about a bewitched tribute act. And later in the Rovers, they're deplorable with each other after Kirk says that he's not going to go back on the tour after all. Oh, I was really confused by the whole bewitched thing. Why? Because when I think bewitched, I think the the fifties sixties oh, sitcom no. with Samantha who wiggles her nose and, and things happen. She's married to Darren. Bewitched were an Irish girl group. I think it was four of them. Uh huh. That makes sense. They were very young, and their limbs flailed independently to the rest of their bodies, <laughs> much like uh, flatly Lord of the Dance guy. Hmm. So they had a song called Roller Coaster. Come on, roller coaster. And <laughs> did they make like roller coaster movements? Oh, what was the other one? Did they pretend to be like going up and down and ah? They had another one that was more famous than Roller Coaster. That was a better song. Did they wear heavy? Oh, what you like? I can't remember the name of it though. Did they wear heavy makeup and black clothes all the time? Not black clothes, but they were. They were just very young and feisty and never stopped moving. And they were kind of like a musical equivalent of a panic attack. <laughs> I'll show you a video later. They were actually pretty good. Their album was excellent. I loved it. <laughs> Power pop. So Wednesday, okay. Sinead and Daniel are starting the day with a lovely argument about not getting the right laundry detergent. And Daniel's side of the bed being a fucking cope. And of course, they're both dancing around the obvious topic Gee, I can of to Sinead's that. upcoming scan results. Sinead is in the florist looking for a favour from Tracy. She's worried about the scan results. Aww. And Tracy advises talking to Daniel about it. They've been through much worse. And Tracy is rather lovely to Sinead here. Yes. The favour that she's asking for, if anything bad happens to Sinead, could Tracy keep an eye on Daniel and make sure he's okay and looks after himself? She says that Tracy is the most honest person that she knows and so Tracy agrees and gives her a lovely bunch of flowers on the house. And she also says, when you go, when you get a guard dog, you go for a Rottweiler. Yeah, and Tracy is genuinely touched by this. Yes, <laughs> yes. She, she's, she's genuinely pleased to be compared to a Rottweiler. Right. 
Later, Daniel is speaking with Adam. No one knows how he feels, he says. And Adam says, well, maybe Sinead's got a fair idea. And maybe you should talk to her. Yeah, good point, Adam. Well made. Then Daniel and Sinead are at the hospital waiting. Sinead has to put a hand on Daniel's jittery knee. That would drive me fucking crazy as well. They yeah. pretend that they're fine until Daniel admits that he's scared and he has been for a while. Sinead tells him that they need to talk about their feelings to each other and about what might happen. You fiddle with your thumbs when you're nervous. You don't do a jittery knee, you do your thumbs when you're nervous. Twiddle my thumbs? Yeah. I don't even think you're aware that it happens, but I, it does. I think I, I wring my, my hands a bit as well. That's yeah, what I think you, I do. You twiddle your thumbs. Uh, so, where did I get to? Uh, Shaky knee. She says that they may be about to face some bad news here and reminds him of the promise that they made at Christmas, to be honest, and tells him to face up to the possibility of her dying. Daniel just stares into space as his eyes fill up with tears. Aww. And eventually Daniel is still burying his head in the sand a bit. If it's bad news, they can go private, he says. Or go abroad. Yeah, because they've got all the money in the world to do that. Well... Gail apparently has money to go to Thailand. Shush, we haven't got to that yet. Oh, we haven't. We got Fucking it. Hell. I'm so sorry. For some reason, I thought that happened last week. Never mind. Sinead, though, <laughs> just wants quality time with him and Bertie. And if it's good news, he asks, then I'm fucking off to Vegas without you, she says, and they both chuckle at this. <laughs> Although she really will. Yeah, she would, yes. <laughs> then Daniel says he couldn't cope without her, and she tells him that he'd have to. Then she reveals a little fantasy she has where she watches birds from her window and she imagines them taking her cancer away and dropping it into the sea. Daniel tells her he's been praying to any god who'll listen, including Thor. And mm-hmm. then Sinead gets called through to see the doctor. So they're with a the doctor who explains that it appears, hey, the tumour has reacted well to treatment and Yay! there's no trace of it left. Woo-hoo. There's no guarantee that it's gone. It's just undetectable. Correct. And Daniel says, has it spread? And the doctor's like, are you fucking listening to me? No, it's undetectable. <laughs> that means it hasn't spread. So you far so good, the doctor says. And Sinead and Daniel, who'd been prepared for such bad news, they're made up. Right, until the doctor says, you'll need to come back like in three months, in three months time just so we can keep an eye on it. And then all of a sudden they're crestfallen like, wait a second, I thought you said that this was over. Right. And it's like, no, you still, we still need to keep an eye on it. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth here, people. Back at home, Beth and Kirk are thrilled that Sinead got the all clear, although Daniel decides to tell Ken over the phone for some reason. Kirk and Daniel head off to the pub, and Sinead just wants to spend time with Bertie. And it turns out that Sinead doesn't think that anything's actually changed here. The clock's just been reset for another three months, and then another three months, and then another three months. Beth tries to bolster Sinead, but it's no good, and Sinead will have to wait five years, constantly worrying that every ache and pain is a cancer coming back. This cancer, she says, is never going to leave her. Right, and that's that's exactly how how it feels once you've had cancer. Is that every little thing? Your your first worry is right. that it's come back. You know, so that's that was really well done on the show's part. It was it really spoke to cancer survivors like me who. That's that's their everyday life. Right. So, well done, Koi. Yeah, because when you had your cancer a few years ago, and you got the all clear, and then you had your pain that you, you spoke about on the podcast right. for the, the weeks that it kind of lasted, it's, the first thing you think of is, 
Right. But but you don't say it out loud, though. No. But you, but you think it. But you, God, no, you don't say it out loud. No. Yeah, I thought they handled all this fairly well. excellently. Yes. And just... Uh, it spoke to a real truth that I don't think most people... Right. ...who have never had cancer don't really recognize is that, you know, this is a thing that's in the back of your mind and for the rest of your life. Sure. And, and in the back of your family's mind for the rest e- of your life. And even after the five years is over. Right. Does anything change after the five years? I mean, I, I guess it's, maybe it's... Yeah, things will get a, even more spread niggle, out, more spread out, niggle. but yeah. I have to say, a powerhouse of, of performance from Katie McGlynn here as Sinead. Yeah, she did very well this week. The absolute best I think I've ever seen her. Yeah. Just really sold it really well. Absolutely yes. felt for her. Yes, in every scene. So later, Daniel comes home and he's looking for his hole, but Sinead is too upset. She's still terrified and she can't be, she can't feel that positivity that Daniel would like her to feel. Daniel says it'll do his best to take her fears away. Good luck with that. Yeah. On Friday, at home, Daniel thinks that they need to get away and he floats the idea again of going to the Scottish borders. This time, though, it's booked. Yeah. It'll be Bertie's first holiday. He'll see some boats or whatever. And Sinead is happy to agree that this is a first-rate idea. Huzzah! Yay, Scotland! But Scottish borders, though. As, as, mm. as minimal Scotland as possible. Right, yeah. So Daniel and Sinead, they're packing, and she gets a text from a hairdresser who's wanting to buy some of her beard oil. She had a meeting today, but she thinks that she can't uh, go to it because they're packing and then they're leaving. But Daniel tells her to go off and take care of it he'll finish off the packing. So that's what Sinead does. And she comes home from her business meeting and they've put an order in. They want 5,000 units mm-hmm. of beard oil. And so she's had to turn them down because yeah. she's going on vacation. She's going on holiday and Daniel has already said that she's doing too much. But Daniel changes his tune and tells her to tell him that she's changed her mind and he'll cancel the holiday. And he gives her a pill box that has a charm necklace in it with her photos and a little heart. He claims that they're sort of married, which they're not, and then says that he wanted to go to Gretna, that was the plan, which is in the Scottish border, so fair enough. Mm-hmm. But maybe Weatherfield Registry Office is good enough and they can get married for the proper this so time. So they finally recognised that they're not properly married. Thank you. Well, they didn't. It's like they've... It's like, it's like they've no, he's, he's he thinks said, they're sort of married. Well, yeah. It's like being sort of pregnant. Right. They're sort of, you know, they're married in spirit. But they haven't done the official thing. So they're not legally, technically married. And so let's go and make an honest woman of you and everything. And it's like, yay, the show has finally <laughs> acknowledged that they're not really married. Which is something we've been saying ever since they pretended to be married. Pagan wedding festival thing. With Kirk dressed as a vampire or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> You're a wizard, Kirky. <laughs> <laughs> You're an asshole, Kirky. Oh! <laughs> so, there we go. Sinead somehow has the financial capability and the logistic capabilities to make 5,000 units of beard oil. Good for her. Yeah, well, they don't say how 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 big these units are. So, it could be like a like a little... Yeah, it could like be. That. So, make 5,000 of them. Yeah. I know people who do stuff like that all the time. Such as people who sell stuff on Etsy. 
That I buy from. They make 5,000. Yeah. At home? Yeah. In their bath? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. I've bought it for you before, so get it right up here. I don't want anyone's fucking bath of water. You better not have. <laughs> I'm definitely taking that tea now. Yeah. <laughs> you don't so, like pineapple. Like I said, I'm going to spit it on the floor. Oh, no, you're not, because then I'll have to clean it up. Our next story is Jan and Eileen and Seb and Alina. And Liz. And... Is that it? Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> this is just on Friday. That's enough. Because Friday opens with a strange wee scene of Eileen setting off uh, Jan to work with some Sarnies while Seb has got a call from Alina. And it's an unknown number. And Seb seems a bit confused that Alina had a phone when she said that she didn't or something. Seb is keen to meet up, but Alina seems less so. And frustrated, Seb points out that she phoned him and then she hangs up on him. Seb decides once more that he's going to have to turn up at her work. Because that worked well, but in the past. Yeah. Then Eileen catches Jan eating different sandwiches in the community garden. He claims that he's already eaten hers at tea break and invites her to join him for a seat. But instead, they decide to go back to her place for a cuppa. Meanwhile, Seb turns up at the nail salon and Alina says that she doesn't think that they should see each other anymore. And she never cared about him. He thought that she liked her, but she claims that was never the case and tells him to sling his hook and she's coaxed on by one of her co-workers. So Seb goes back home, telling Eileen and Jan that uh, Alina isn't interested in them anymore. Jan thinks he should leave it be, which Eileen agrees with. Seb thinks there's something there, and heads on out. Eileen thinks these issues aren't exclusive to the young, and Jan is keen to learn about her experiences with feeling, and tells her that she deserves to be happy. She says <laughs> that she was uh, being an idiot in love. And Jan is understanding. Eileen says that she'll never make that mistake again. Jan says he hopes that she'll let someone in again, otherwise that would be a terrible mistake. And he reaches towards her for a kiss, which she initially accepts, and then pulls away. Yep. She says that she can't be in a relationship right now, and she runs off to see Liz and tells Jan to move on. Seb, meanwhile, has gone back to the nail salon for some reason, and Rachel isn't too impressed to see him. She tells him that Alina doesn't work there anymore and has stomped off in a huff. Seb wants to know where, but Rachel neither knows nor cares, so Seb has no other thing to do than just leave. Yeah, even though Rachel suggested that with his man bun, he should get a French pedicure. Manicure. I thought that was sarcastic though, wasn't it? Because it's like, you're you're here again. Yes. Yes, but it was funny. You know, because she's like a... are you here for acrylics or for something else? And then she's like, no, with that man bun, you're here for a French manicure. Huh? In the pub, Jan tells Eileen that he likes her and she likes him and he wants to make a go of it, but he understands where she's coming from. Liz sees this and correctly assesses what's going on between them. Then Seb meets Jan at the back of the rover. She's putting up a, a flower basket or something. Seb explains that Alina's gone, she's disappeared, and he blames himself. Jan tells him not to worry, there's plenty more fish in the woods, and he won't find true love at that nail salon, that's for sure. Plenty of fish in the woods. Mm-hmm. Ha ha ha, that guy doesn't know how to speak English correctly. That's it's, right. hilarious. it's hilarious. He's, he's mixing his... Yeah, he's messing up his metaphors and stuff. Right, because he's home. foreign. <clears throat> Back home, Eileen admits to Liz what happened between her and Jan. They kissed, kind of, then she had pulled away. She admits to enjoying him, but she doesn't want another psycho in her bed 
and Liz tells her to stop living in Pat's shadow. She deserves to be happy. Right, but, and shut, you know, shut up and go piss on the pot. And What? <sighs> now I'm, I'm messing up my metaphor. Oh, are you suddenly Polish? <laughs> yeah, apparently. I... Either piss in the pot or get off. Yeah, yes. Right. Yes. Then Seb is going to follow Jan's... Whereas Jan is the... In which Jan is the pot. Right. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure Jan is... Stuff. I don't think Jan is perhaps into that. Of Who course knows? of course he is. He's Polish. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he's not. Is, isn't he Bul- Bulgarian? Oh, Bulgarian or Lithuanian or something, isn't he? Is it Bulgarian? I think he was Bulgarian. It's not Polish. It's definitely not Polish. Polish. Seb is going to follow Jan's advice and head into town. Eileen is impressed that Jan's advice has turned him around. Well, they share they share a similar man bun, so... Eileen admits that Liz had some wise words for her, and she's ready to open the door a little bit with him, but leave the security chain on if that's okay. And what that basically means, she says, is that, yep, you can kiss me. So he does. Yeah. And that's kind of lovely. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. He better not hurt her, or I will kill him. In much the same way that Gary being the the builder and the villain, I really don't want to see Eileen getting hurt by a, a builder different again. builder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again. What is the show trying to say about builders? Builders just can't be trusted. I mean. But we already knew that. Except except maybe Bob the builder. He, he, he could fix it. So yes, he says. can. Can we fix it? Yes, we can. Bob That's builder. great. That's super. Great, great banter. <laughs> our next story tonight, our penultimate story tonight. Woohoo! Roy's wiring. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! On Friday, Roy's having a hard time with Evelyn and Cerberus. For whatever reason, he's allowed her to bring the dog into Roy's rolls and it spooks customers and eats sausages off the floor. Roy is left with no choice but to bar the pair of them. And then the lights flicker as Evelyn leaves and she calls the place a death trap or something. I wasn't really paying attention. Then Evelyn, well is, Evelyn is back at Dev's. I know, I had one job. <laughs> Evelyn is back at Dev's selling milk to Ty. And then comes Roy confirming that he holds Evelyn and Cerberus for the theft of his sausages. He's in for candles and he goes off to buy a million of them. Roy's Rolls has a power problem. It's best to be prepared, he says. Ty says the two of them are killing him because he wants them to get it on. And when Roy is gone, Ty calls Evelyn and Roy an old married couple. Yes. Which is true. Then Peter comes into Roy's roles. Roy explains that he has no electricity and has an electrician looking at the problem. And the sparky comes out and thinks that the wiring is fucked and he should actually condemn the whole lot until Roy decides to fix it pronto. Peter wants to contribute because it was due to Carla flooding the place that's made the wiring all faulty. But Roy isn't interested. Yeah, because it was outdated and that was not Carla's fault. Right. But it's convinced when Peter sends him over to the rovers to buy an orange juice. Right, and sit down and relax. So Evelyn catches up with Roy at the rovers thinking that he's been ripped off by Larry the Sparky. But no matter, she'll happily have a drink of him if he's buying to save him from looking like a lonely old alky. I'll have a double brandy, thanks very much, she says. Yeah, an alky with an orange juice. Yeah, but she gets a double brandy, though. Yeah, she does. Evelyn reckons he doesn't say no to her. No. Evelyn reckons that the electrician bill might be paid just before Roy dies, she says. 
Peter comes in to say that Larry's done, the electrics are back on, and he's all set for his late night cocoa. Evelyn pipes up that if she ever has late night cocoa, you if, have her if, permission if to shoot her. The highlight of her day is her evening cocoa, you have permission to shoot her. Gladly, says Roy. <laughs> <laughs> Which means he's totally into her. And Roy and Peter have a little uh, tete-a-tete as they're walking out. Where right, where Roy Peter says, basically says the same thing Tyrone did. And then Roy says, I cannot stand up, woman. Right, which, by which we know that he's totally into her. I so want this to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. I, I, I think it is. It's going to happen. And I really, really hope it does. And I've been saying this is going to happen ever since that cop thought that Evelyn was giving Roy a blowjob in the car. In the woody, car. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> giving him a woody in the woody. Yep. They're just so good together, especially that Evelyn's the comedy character, not the... The horrible, evil gran that she was before. Correct. Yeah, this is... Yeah, we like this. This is legs. And if it means more Roy, and all, it, all, and the, all and the good. And if it's giving Roy something new and interesting to do... Oh, Because, diff- yeah, yeah, a different dynamic. And how is Roy going to handle this? Because he's going to feel guilty, probably. And Right. Because he felt guilty when he and Kathy were looking like they were going to get it on. And she eventually went off with Brian and... Which is a better match, let's be honest. It is, yeah. But these two, yeah, they're challenging each other and it's... Right. It's good. It's, it's good, good for fun. both of them. Yeah. I like it. Our final storyline tonight then... Oh! Is Gone Gale. You like that? <laughs> That's Can't a plain word for Gone Girl. Yes, Gone Gale. The Gillian Flynn novel. And the movie of the same name. Right. With, so, so now that, everyone... with, that, with that fucking Ben Affleck, who's Neil, no longer Batman. Yay! And Neil Patrick Harris's penis. Oh, and then bloody, bloody, bloody Neil Patrick Harris. Bloody, bloody, bloody. Bloody. Are we spoiling Gone Girl for people? <laughs> are, are I we... think Neil Patrick Harris's penis does that for a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good film. That's a great book. Is <sighs> it Gillian from the Roller? Yes. Yeah. It's problematic. Rosamund Pike was very good. As she is in, the, in everything that she's ever been in. Because she's fantastic. One of my favourites. Yes, we stand. Yep. On Monday. What's this about again? Oh, yeah. Gail. <laughs> <laughs> Got Neil Patrick Harris's penis. Stuck in your head. Just can't get it out of my mind now. <laughs> Great. Nick wakes up to his first morning behind bars. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gail is in Roy's roles, getting a hard time from Leanne and Shona. Leanne, questionably, thinks Nick wouldn't have broken his bail conditions if it had been for Gail. She reveals that Nick isn't coping well, he's not cut out for prison, and Gail thinks that this is all her fault, and literally, no one disagrees. Is anyone cut out for prison? Well, David seems to handle it much better, doesn't he? But it's prison. You're not supposed to be cut out for it. It's supposed to make you feel bad. I'm surprised at how badly Nick handles it, though. That's because... He's a bit of a wuss, isn't he? He's stuck in his head still, and he seems to think that being smarter than everybody else is going to help him on the inside, and it doesn't. Right. So Nick's Scottish cellmate tells him that he has good bone structure, and he paints all his cellmates. That's not creepy as fuck in the slightest at all, is it, Helen? Yeah, and he seems to paint them in the style of Pablo Picasso. Yes. Nick just wants to keep his head down, but Selmit says there's no such thing as a quiet life in here. Then David comes in to visit. 
Meanwhile, oh, <clears throat> Gail reveals that she managed to get a visit in order today, and Leanne is worried that Nick needs to know people on the outside are thinking of him, and what about all that prison violence and stuff. Gail is convinced that her boys will look out for each other, and meanwhile, Shona and Leanne roll their eyes at each other. Following a brief chat earlier, Gail and Sally are now doing yoga in Sally's front room. Gail brings up all her ills, and Sally insists that she's not in Weatherfield. She's on a beach in Thailand with warm, tropical wind in her hair. But this isn't working for Gail. She can't focus. She needs to go and see her boys. David is playing pool with that prison bloke who's all covered in pen. Remember that one? The yes. One, the one who beat up Clayton yeah. back in the day? Yep. It's all He's covered in pen. still in prison. All covered in pen. Yes. Along comes Nick, who thinks that the two of them should stick together. David tells Nick his new cellmate killed one of his old cellmates who didn't let him paint him. Best just let him do it. And back in the cell... I don't think that's true, though. Nick and Ash, who's the Scottish guy, are chatting about art and shit. Scottish and ginger. Mm-hmm. Ash thinks that they need to make the best of a bad situation. David lingers outside and listens as Ash promises to do what he can to help Nick's situation. Then Gail's at the jail... Oh, Gail's at the jail? Jail Gail. <laughs> to see David, but he's not all that keen to see her, saying that she's yeah. the reason that he's inside. Yeah. For some reason, she's taken Harry in with her. She well, asks, because Sarah fobbed Harry onto her, mm-hmm. even though she was going to meet, going to the prison, because everybody takes advantage of poor Gail. She asks after Nick, but David claims to not have seen him. She wants him to look after Nick, but he refuses. She calls herself a babysitting grandma who gets nothing back in return, but David has no sympathy for her. Everyone would be better off if she did nothing at all, and he leaves a table at this. Which is unfair, because the whole family expects Gail to do everything. Ash's help, as it turns out, is drugs. This isn't <laughs> a thunk. This isn't the help Nick was wanting. And he says to Ash that he can stick his drugs up his arse. Right. Up his arse. Because <laughs> they're suppositories. Ash says that he owes them now whether he wants the drugs or not. Right, because he had to work hard to get them. <laughs> yeah. When Nick doesn't agree, Ash goes to beat the fuck out of him. And David, who's still lingering about like a fart in an elevator, Nick pleads for help. Friend of yours, asks Ash. Nope, says David. And he leaves him to it. Ash closes the door, and Nick promises to get the money, but Ash says that sometimes money isn't enough. Nah, if you know what I mean. And he steals Nick's suit, leaving him in his vest and underpants, sitting on his bed, looking like a, like a, like a little boy who can't do gym this week because he's forgotten his kit. Right, yeah, he looks very vulnerable and very sad for the first time ever. Right. It, it, he doesn't seem completely full of himself. David thinks it'll make a lot of friends dress this way. <laughs> then Gail's on the phone leaving a message with Audrey explaining how she's in the doghouse with everyone, even Sarah for taking Harry to prison. Sarah isn't interested in how her brothers are doing, much to Gail's annoyance. Then in comes Shona, desperate to hear how David is doing, but it's Nick that Gail is more worried about. Typical, says Shona, who then gets a call from David, and she steps outside and we're led to believe that Gail is becoming frustrated at how her family are dealing with this matter. And also just how, you know, like Sarah expects her to watch Harry, but then gets mad when she has to take Harry with her to the prison. It's yeah. like, well... To places that she has to go while she's looking after him. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
and nobody else does the ironing, which who the fuck irons anymore anyway? <laughs> and then the big kid needs a habit. And we haven't gotten to that yet, have we? The habit. For school, for some reason, he needs to be dressed up like a monk. And he says a monk's costume. And Gail keeps saying habit. And then Gail gets frustrated and calls it a costume. And Audrey calls from the other room. Oh, for fuck's sake, it's called a habit. <laughs> and it's like, poor Gail. I feel for her. Yeah, I'm about to talk about that. Okay. Well, I already did. See, now you don't have to. Then there's an overly elaborate scene where everyone gets laid into Gale unreasonably. Max blames her for not getting his monk's costume made. Sean is on the sauce and apparently told Max it was so easy that even Gale could make it. Audrey comes in not wanting to talk to Gale but claiming to be looking for her phone charger. Leanne storms in telling everyone about Nick getting his suit stolen and blaming Gale for not getting David to look after Nick. And then Nick phones to tell her to stay away. She just makes everything worse. An awful lot happened to Gale on that. Two and a half minutes. Seriously. Poor Gail. So Audrey's at Gail's and she's still ignoring Gail despite Gail's pleas and apologies. Eventually, on the verge of tears, she gets a response, but it's not what she wants. She tells Audrey her kids are her life. Well, says Audrey, it must suck to have your life then. If all that bothers you is interfering in your grown adult children's lives, no wonder they want to keep her nose out of it. And off Audrey goes, with everyone else heading out too, leaving Gail all alone in the house. Poor Gail. She's alone in the universe. Then later, Sarah and Shona get back. The chicken dinner that she'd be making uh, has been burnt to a crisp and there's no sign of Gail in the house anymore. Then Sarah is at Sally's. Still no sign of Gail. Sally thinks Gail had a lot on her plate and maybe just needed to get away. And then we cut to an airport executive lounge where Gail is offered champagne by a waiter. That doesn't happen. Gail accepts, telling the waiter who could give a fuck either way that this is the first day of the rest of her life. And then her flight is called. At the time it took for a chicken to burn, it seems Gail has booked herself on a flight to Bangkok. And this indeed is the first day of the rest of her life. Yes. Somehow Gail is able to afford plane tickets at the last minute to Bangkok. And and, and seating in the executive lounge. Right. Where they drink champagne, apparently. And where... Waiters walk around with champagne on a tray to encourage you to do so. Yes. That doesn't happen. Uh, how many executive lounges have you been in? I was in the executive lounges all the time when I was flying back and forth with Prue. Oh, ooh la la. You have a free bar, but you have to go fancy, get it yourself. Fancy. Yeah. And fancy. that was the British Midland and the British Airways executive lounges. Oh, well. Yeah. They're not all the cracked. You get some sandwiches and some crisps and some fruit, and it's, they're comfier seats, but. And you're separated from the hoi polloi. Yep. It's not for the scrap duck to be, though. Okay. On Wednesday, Sarah and Shona meet up in the corner. They're still in the scene of Gail, and her phone is turned off. Shona's getting really worried now, and Sarah's phoned the police, and they're looking into it. Shona is not looking forward to telling Nick and David, especially ahead of the trial tomorrow. Then Leanne is visiting Nick. He's really not handling prison life very well at all. Meanwhile, next to them, Shona's explaining to David about Gail going missing. Nick and David, who are like five feet away from each other, start to squabble about who misses Gail the most. And Nick points out that David barely calls her mum, so it can't even be him. David points out all the lies that he's been spinning everyone, the money laundering, the getting married to some trollop, disappearing for a year, and Nick says that he's paying for all that shit now. Nick and David jump to their feet 
and they're about to go at it when a guard splits them up and sends them back to the cells. And later, David and Nick are still arguing about who paid for his legal fees. Ash and the bloke who's all covered in pen. Remember the guy who's all covered in pen? Yes, I do. He's, uh, they catch up with Nick. They claim to have washed his suit and pressed it for him, and Ash tells him that he's nothing in here. Nick doesn't want any trouble and doesn't want his suit back, but that's what he's going to get as Ash gets an arm across his throat and holds him against the wall while David watches on uneasily. Nick, says Ash, needs to learn some manners. I'm not it's, sure what they were expecting Nick to do here. Take his suit back and right, and dress up. yes, yes, sir. Thank you, sir, for my suit, sir. Was yeah. that it? All right, okay. Yeah. So David steps up. He can't let Ash do this. Nick is his brother. Ash doesn't give a shit and lamps David while the bloke all covered in pen lamps Nick before the screws break it up. Yeah, but first the guy all covered in ink, like shakes his head no at Ash, like no, don't hit David. Oh, did he? He shook his head no, and I, I wasn't quite sure. He's just trying to get the pen off him. <laughs> I'm not sure why. It's just everywhere. <laughs> Audrey, Leanne and Sarah are playing about with empty cups at number eight when Sally comes to the door with news about Gail. Sally got a text from her and she's in Bangkok. She couldn't stand the stress. She doesn't know if or when she'll be back. Her family will be the death of her, she says. They really are a miserable shower of... Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sally lets them fill in the rest for themselves. And they all say, <gasps> and they're aghast as they look at, at, at Gail's language. You know, they're as, a, as appalled as Maria was with the dick pics last week. Right. And later, Nick thanks David for sticking up for him, and he apologises for letting David down, for trying to pin it on him and all that sort of stuff. He insists, though, that the factory roof was nothing to do with him. Nick admits to feeling jealous of everything David has. He had Leanne, then Elsa showed up, and he worried that he was going to lose everything. He promises to get the family back together by telling the truth in court. By the time he's finished, he says, the judge will think that David is a saint. So later, yeah. David phones and ran to tell him that Nick didn't have anything to do with the factory roof. He just got the wrong end of the stick. This'll be what he'll say at the trial, and then Ran promises still to represent him, although he looks pissed off at the development here. The Nick somehow is getting... A second visit from Leanne today. Even though his first visit was cut short <laughs> by violence. By bad behavior. <laughs> he tells her about the new plan to take responsibility. He needs to do this for his family. And Leanne's like, well, what about our family? Me, you, and the kids that you can't name. Plus it would be covering up one lie with another. David forced him to spend the money on the barber, after all. Leanne doesn't think admitting to lying is going to do him any good whatsoever. Plus, she put her fucking neck on the line for him. And she loves him. She's giving evidence tomorrow, and if he's and if he's got any sense, he will stick to the plan. She obviously doesn't know the truth, truth, or if she does, try to think of what version of the truth that she's been told. Because she's right about David forcing Nick to get involved in the barbers, but as Nick says, yeah, yeah I didn't have to do that. No, I I, said no, absolutely, he could have said no and just come clean about the money then and there, giving it back to Audrey then and there. But then, you know, Nigel Havers died, and all bets were off. Right. On Friday, out of focus in the background, Nick is watching David on the phone to Shona. David's talking about helping out Nick, and Nick telling the truth and all that now. David believes that Nick wants to do the right thing. Shona just wants that all to get behind him and to get married and all that. 
Roy rolls, Audrey's with Shona, and Audrey thinks Gail has done the right thing and has no intention of going to court. Audrey, that is, Gail obviously can't because she's in Thailand. Shona explains what happened with her phone call with David from earlier. Audrey's very interested in this, and then Leanne comes in to order a cappuccino. She asks how Gail is, but they have no idea. Then we're in court, and Paul is in... Uh, and Paula is questioning Nick, who claims to feel terrible about what happened, calling Audrey a second mum to him. It very quickly transpires that Nick has decided not to tell the truth after all, and has reverted to the brain injuries defence. Nick! Are you fucking kidding me? asks David. Paula says they have a psychiatrist report uh, and ask about the personality changes, which Nick is happy to pounce on, saying that it made him reckless, he made bad decisions, and David was aware of all this. David is audibly outraged and is told to shut up by the judge and by Imran. And then it's Imran's turn to do the questioning and he points out that Nick was the owner of the knicker factory. It was his job negotiating contracts and Nick admits this. So you're a competent businessman who can be, who can be manipulated by his brother then. He calls Nick a liar and then the youngest PC in the world is now the youngest prosecution barrister in the world and he says the brain injury was never mentioned what up with that? Yeah, it wasn't mentioned until now. It's not in any of the police reports. That's right. So Adam finds Sarah in Roy's roles. He wants his hole, but eh, she's a little busy right now. She reckons Nick will get off and spawn back in like nothing happened. And Adam isn't so sure about that. And maybe Adam has some uh, plans of his own. Hmm. Now David is on the stand and he tells the truth. He admits to being angry at Audrey for selling off his rights. He admits to buying the barbers. He feels appalled and angry and ashamed by his actions, which is why the barbers is now signed over to Audrey to make amends. Right, but he's not the one who stole the money. He didn't find out about it until after it was already stolen. Right. He begs for leniency for his kid's sake. So later, the judge has come to a conclusion. David is the main orchestrator of the crime oh, and she's about to sentence him when Nick calls to stop proceedings, he says. He says he lied. David didn't do any of this. His brain injury wasn't to blame and it was his idea to steal Audrey's money. He's misled the court. He lied to his barrister and to his partner and to this court. Nick says he's the one to blame. This is all down to him. And when he says partner... All of a sudden, Nick goes into soft focus, and we see Leanne in sharp focus behind him. And then it switches back to Leanne in soft focus, and and Nick in hard focus. Did you notice that? No, but it did happen. Thanks for pointing. It was it was an interesting choice. A little on the nose. A little, you know, Khaleesi with dragon wings unfurling behind her as she walks down the stairs it was a little on the nose but it was an interesting choice okay the judge has been persuaded by nick but cannot ignore the suspended sentence and in part activates this she sentences david to eight months in jail half in custody half on license she then sentences nick to two years but suspends it for two years due to the mitigating factors like no previous convictions and a good character and supposedly because he has to, a factory to run and there are people who depend, uh, on, them. depend on him. That's the knicker people. Which is not true <laughs> because he only owes half of it and all of this time Sarah's been running it. He's a Willy Wonka. He's really not. You're a lucky shitbag, says the judge. 
and Nick is free to go. You're a shitbag, but you're a lucky one. Then David is taken down into the dark bowels of the court, where in time he will engage in battle with Rancor, which David ultimately crushes and impales <laughs> under the Willowfield Courthouse compound gate before rescuing Han Solo. <laughs> I love you. And Jess. That was, that, was, that was so good. That was copied and pasted verbatim from what I said when Sally got to jail six months ago. <laughs> But apparently the only thing that's funny is Tim's fucking dad. (laughs) So explain to me what this means. A suspended... So he's sentenced to two years, but it's suspended, so he gets to go home? Is he going to have like an ankle bracelet and he can't go anywhere? Probably not. It's it's a be on your best behavior kind of bond. Right. So it's no punishment at all. No, but it's a threat of if you step out of line in any way whatsoever. Like if you... That's fucked up. I would be very mad if I were Audrey because that's him getting off scot-free after admitting that he did this whole thing. Essentially, yes. But if he even like draws his keys down a car or whatever, then he could get a couple of years for that. That's just messed up. Doesn't look equivalent here? A good behaviour bond? No. I don't think so. You get sentenced and then that's it? Yeah, I mean... For people who have, you know, mitigating factors like a brain injury or something, you'd probably get put in like a hospital as opposed to as opposed to a prison. But not, oh, well, we're just going to slap you on the wrist. He doesn't even have to pay a fine. He's not even ordered by the court to pay Audrey back. Yeah, he should probably get at least some community service. Right. But there's nothing. It's so fucked up. Yeah, that is pretty fucked up right there. Shona's allowed to see David before he's taken away. Boo. Four months. Shona insists that they and the kids will be fine. The wedding is the last thing that they have to worry about. David thinks this gives them more time to plan it. And Shona wants to kill Nick and Leanne, but David reminds them that they're a family, screwed up as they are, and he wants to sort everything out now. Then Audrey meets Sarah in the pub, and Sarah explains the results of the trial to her. She's disappointed by it, hoping that David's sentence would be suspended too. And Nick is back home with Leanne. Oh, it feels good to be home, he says to Leanne. Smooches her in the, in the street. In the street. Shona stomps by explaining how David wants to call a truce. Sarah doesn't have to agree to this, and calls Leanne and Nick a pair of shitbags. Nick calls her a silly little girl, and he and Leanne disappear into the flat. Sarah tells Adam that she's very keen to put his idea into practice. Yeah, and it's all Nick's fault for calling her a silly little girl. His sister, who's done so much hard work keeping that factory afloat. Well, so she says. More work than he has. Nick goes into the barbers and already uh, tells her that they're closed. Her best barber's away. Tells her, him. Her best barber is away thanks to Nick being a shit. Nick apologises again and says he wants to make amends. He wants to repair things. The fighting has to stop. It would be easy for him to disappear, but he's going to stay and fix it all. And she's keen to know how. Yeah, seriously, Nigel Harryvers is still dead. How is he going to fix that? He says he doesn't know. He'll find out what people need from him and do it. She thinks it's easy to make empty promises, but delivery is a different business. He says he'll help Shona while David is in prison and will track down Gail in Thailand. Well, what about me, says Audrey. Nick doesn't know... What if Gail doesn't want to be tracked down? Nick... (laughs) Seriously, 
She's a grown woman. Leave her alone. How easy would it be to track down Gail? <laughs> she's still in the airport. Let's face it. She's terrified to go anywhere. Nick doesn't know if he can make it better for her, but he'll pay her back. He knows what he did was wrong. Then in comes Sarah, want to know just what the fuck is going on here. Sarah sarcastically thinks that it's great that Nick wants to fix things, but doesn't know how he's going to do that when he's going to have to find somewhere else to work. He doesn't have a job at the knicker factory anymore. She's having him removed. Cheerio, Grant, she says, and off she goes. So Nick chases out the barbers after her, telling her to find a new job, and he'll be back at work tomorrow. No, 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 says Sarah. She's had paperwork drawn up declaring him unfit to be a director of the knicker factory. Right, because he has such a horrible brain injury that he can't that he can be easily manipulated, remember? That psychiatric report saying that he can't make decisions has come back to bite him on the arse. Nick tells her that she can't do this. Well, buckle up, buckaroo, I already have, says Sarah. She tells him that he needs to be punished, and if a judge won't do it, she will. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Ba-boom! Booyakasha! Shots fired. That was... Well done, Sarah. Pretty exciting stuff from Sarah there at the end. Yes. So we were talking about this after we watched it. It's like the feud between David and Nick has kind of finished. And now we have a far more interesting feud, I think, between Sarah Sarah and Nick. Nick. Because Sarah, she ain't taking no shit from nobody. No. Least of all him. No. And And with Adam in her corner, who's prepared to bend all the rules and... Right. And and possibly... and. Adam and Imran working together, possibly, because we know Imran still hates Nick's guts right. and still blames him for right. Rana's death. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm very happy that it seems like Nick's going to get his comeuppance one way or the other. I think his life is going to be made very uneasy Yeah, in the coming weeks. I mean, it already kind of has been because the Nicker people own half the company. So now he has to, I don't know, have shareholder meetings with them. About every single decision made. Yeah. I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> I was wondering how, you, how they divvied that up. If it was just everyone gets an equal share or is it depending on seniority or length of service or did Dirk get as much as Kirk? Who knows? Dirk and Kirk. They should go on the road together. Like a comedy team. Yep. They could be They could be like or, or like comedy magicians they could be like um um oh what are the names the big huge guy and the little wee guy with the curly hair that doesn't talk Penn and teller yes they could be the british Penn and teller oh yeah because kirk Kirk talks Mm -hmm. and is tall and dirk does not and is short right and balding dirk and kirk the new Penn and teller coming to a theater near you <laughs> do, 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 do. However, I do think, uh, yeah, Nixon for a bit of a rude, rude awakening. awakening. As as will Leanne in the end, because it's down to her that he decided to throw David under the bus. Right. And then at the last minute, he's like, "No, I can't do that." But he's already thrown him under the bus and talked about his brain injury. Yeah. So she kind of forced his hand there, and then yeah. he went along with it for a while. Then he didn't. Right. But because he got out, I wonder if that's going to be enough to placate Leanne about it. Maybe. Mm. Maybe not. Mm. Gail's away for a while, do you think? Yes. I think she's just going to break, isn't she? She'll be back. They're not 
They're not writing her out. No, of course not. No. She's too important a character. All the plots are. What if she'll have some kind of spiritual awakening in Thailand and come back a completely different person? Or just... With a different haircut? Or just comedy gale. Oh, please don't be comedy gale. Come back interesting. And with a new haircut. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Moment of the week. Sinead and Tracy. Yeah, I, I was kind of in the mood for a Sinead and Daniel moment, but not really because of Daniel's involvement, although I didn't think he was bad. I thought Daniel was, was pretty good, but I thought Sinead was a powerhouse. All right. Incredibly good. Yeah, she was good all the way through the week, so it would have to be one of the scenes with Sinead. But I think the scene between Sinead and Tracy gave those characters room to breathe and to acknowledge that they are family now. Yeah, because they don't always get on. No, they don't always get on. And and it was an interesting dynamic to kind of play with that we right. don't get to see very often. You know, and Tracy just kind of being aghast and like, why would you want me of all people to look after Daniel? And then Sinead's comment, which is absolutely true, about the, when you get a guard dog, you get a Rottweiler. Right. You get something that's fierce and protective. Mm-hmm. And that is Tracy to a T. She may kill you, but she'll do it because she loves you. Because she and, and Daniel haven't had the easiest of relationships either. So. No. But the fact that she's agreed to do this is... There's something just nice about the way that Sinead won her over and got to agree to do something that she probably wouldn't thought twice about doing right in any other circumstance so and then we find out surprisingly that tracy had made her this lovely bouquet right yeah that was a great scene yeah i enjoyed that a lot i, I did too so that's our moment of the week moment of the week boring moment of the week hmm. i will tell you the boring moment of the week beth showing off her pictures didn't actually happen in the show <laughs> oh no what i did was i went through all the episodes that we have posted online and reordered the episode number so that they they reflect the correct episode number and not what Apple thinks is the correct episode number, which was 15 episodes out. So now it's all sitting correct. It took me about an hour. That was my boring moment of the week. Yeah, but that doesn't count. Because Uh, you didn't have to do that. You did that because you're anal retentive. bugging me for a while. Ah, yeah. Beth showing off those her scrapbook pictures. That was pretty boring. It's kind of funny, though. Yeah. Can you think of anything else? Ed trying to fix a sink. <laughs> Nothing came of that. Or or uh, Larry explaining to Roy about outdated electric wiring. Oh, kind of dull, yep. Yeah. Yeah, let's give it to that, because that went on much longer than it needed to. The explaining about the wiring and stuff. That conversation about wiring went on far too long. So the Roy wiring conversation is our... Boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. 10.50 coming up for, shall we wrap this up, my dear? Yes, please. So if you want to act suspiciously to a loved one, you can contact us on the down low. Our email address for email, our Skype address for voicemail, and PayPal account for any kind tips you want to leave us. Leave us a tip! And our virtual jar is thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. We're at Corey Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. 
Corey Podcast on Instagram. I still don't understand the point of Instagram. And we have a blog over at the Talk of the Street Podcast.wordpress.com. I'll have to post a picture of my new chest. Oh, chesty little <laughs> my boobs? New cedar chest. Okay. I'm not going to show a picture of my bust. You're fine. <laughs> no, don't You're the only one who's that. allowed to see them. <laughs> Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. <laughs> we will be back next week with more I'll Talk on the Street. Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.